0: Well, if you've been following us for some time, you've heard me say this. If you've been following for a long time, you've heard me say this a lot of times. I'm very excited about this message today. Those of you that have been with us for a time, you've heard me say that at least a hundred times. But it's true, and I'm very excited, and I'm very glad that you're back. Today, we're going to continue the series, Identity Crises, and talk about something that's going to be very, very helpful to you. Last week, I mentioned to you that most of us, we know what we do. If somebody comes and they're trying to discover who you are, get to know you better, and they start asking some questions about who you are, generally speaking, most of us, we're going to evolve pretty quickly into the things that we do. What is our career? What is our profession? What is the business we're involved in? At some point, probably pretty quickly, you're going to surrender the reality if you're a teacher that you're a teacher. Hey, I'm a teacher, that's what I do. I'm a, I'm a construction. I'm, I'm involved in construction. I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a medical professional. I'm an electrician. I'm a student. I, I work at a warehouse. I'm engaged in banking or finance. And generally speaking, most of us go to, in pretty quick fashion, what are the things that we do? But God wants us to know who we are. See, we know what we do, but God wants us to know who we are, can I say that again? We know what we do. You know that about you if you 're retired, you know that about you if you 've been working at the same company if you 're in a business startup and whatever you 're doing, you know what you do, but more and more, God wants us to understand who we are and Last week, if you were with us, we talked about in part one, we are ambassadors if you didn 't get a chance to See that You can go back later, maybe later today or this week and go back to On Demand and you can see that message. And I hope you'll do that if you missed it. But today we're going to be talking about, uh, we are his masterpiece. And some of you, this is going to be the message. This is where you're at in your life. This is a message that you really, really need it right now. Others of you, you may feel that you don't need it right now, but I would encourage you to catalog it, to archive it, hold on to it, because there will come Come a point in time that you're going to need it. Now, I'm going to walk you through about six sections of verses, and some of you who think like me, you're going to, and you count, you're like, okay, one, he's all right, he's, he's got two more to go, and I understand if your mind works like my mind, so I wanted to, uh, to give you that. Six sections of verses, and to get us rolling, I want to show you several, five in fact, from uh, the New Testament book of Ephesians. This is Ephesians, Chapter 2, and this is going to get us started. And I want you to see with me verses 1 through 5. Write them down somewhere. Make a note. You could even take a picture of the screen if you would like, so that you can go back and look at this, these verses. This is sort of a, a before and after portrait, and you'll see what I mean. As for you, this is prior to becoming a Christian. As for you, Paul said, You are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, in those who are disobedient. Look at the next part. All of us, again, this is pre-Jesus, all of us lived uh, among them at one time, and this is what we were doing, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, look at this phrase, we were by nature objects of wrath. Next part. But because, this is what happens after Jesus saves us. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Now read this, read it out loud with me. Come on, you can do it. I know you can. It is by grace you have been saved. All right, give me a little more volume this time. Read it like you mean it. It is by grace you have been saved. And what powerful verses those are, and those are the before and after pictures. That's what it was like to the group that Paul was talking to, which was a group of Jesus followers living in a place called Ephesus at the time, and it is God's message to us. It is a picture of what we were before we came to Jesus and what our life is like afterwards. It's before and after. And a lot of us like before and after ideas. We redo a room. If you've, got, if you've done this recently, maybe you redid your kitchen or a bathroom or a special room in your house. And, and if it was in rough shape, you probably took some before-pictures and now that you're done with it, you took some after pictures and you just sort of compare. People do that with a house, with a major home renovation. This is what my house was like before this is what my house looks like now. This is what my hair looked like before, and this is what my hair looks now, before and after. I can remember, and this has been many, many years ago, uh, I was having my final appointment. There were some checkups afterward, but my final appointment with an orthodontist is many, many years ago, and so I noticed the very first time when I went into the office of Dr. Steve Chapman, my orthodontist, I remember there was a big board with a lot of before and after pictures on it. What what was your smile like before braces? What was your smile like after braces? And I can remember I had to do the before picture, and I had worn the braces, I think, 18, 16, 18 months. And the day came, if you've ever wore orthodontist, you appreciate the day when your braces are coming off. And mine were coming off, and I was so excited about it, but I knew what was going to happen. And so I came with my mischievousness. I came prepared. And so, the young lady that was taking the braces off before Dr. Chapman gave the final inspection, she was taking them off, and she was already talking about, you know, are you excited? Are you glad? You know, your smile's going to be so great. She was just going on and on. And then she had taken them off, and then she had turned to get something. Unbeknownst to her, I had slipped into my front pocket some really crazy-looking teeth, and I knew she was getting ready to take my picture, so I just slipped them in real quickly. She turned back around, and, and she just lost it. It was the last thing that she expected. Well, let me just say this. She went ahead and took a picture of that one too. So I had three pictures on the orthodontist board before with the teeth that I brought and then, and then the after. What was your life like before you came to Jesus. I know what my life was like. What has your life been since? Now, it's not been perfect, but it's been far better. And so, uh, Paul is writing uh, to these believers about this, and he's just given that before and after picture. Now, he gives us, and there's some phrases here that he uses, and you saw it in the verses. He said, this is what your life was like before Jesus, and that picture of our life before Jesus was not a very pretty one, to say the least. Paul said, before Jesus You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead, not physically, but you were spiritually dead. In addition to that, he said, your life, the picture of your life before Jesus... Here's what you were busy doing. You were gratifying the cravings of your sinful nature. You were just always, you know, your sinful nature was just dominating and controlling your life. You were impulsive and selfish is essentially what Paul is saying. He then also adds, he said, prior to Jesus, the picture of your life before Jesus, you were by nature objects of wrath. In essence, that means that you were ripe, and I was ripe for judgment. We deserve the judgment of God. We were headed for the judgment of God, but then God steps in. And you know what, friend? That's the great thing about God. Whenever God is invited into our person's life, He steps in. Listen, if you're not a Christian yet, you don't have to worry about God forcing His way into your life. He's never going to force His way into your life. He knocks on the door. He whispers to you. He sends Convention to you. He reminds you that He loves you, but He's not going to come into your life until you invite Him. God's never going to force His way into your life, but if you invite Him in, He's going to come in, and then Paul has words about that, what our life looks afterwards. He says, it's His great love for us that caused Him to reach out to us. He is rich in mercy, and that He saved us by grace, and Paul is saying, What our life is all about, when we become a Christian, it's all about God's grace, and it's nothing about our own goodness. In fact, Paul further expands upon this, skipping down, same chapter in Ephesians, but look at these three verses here. He says, and he emphasizes, sort of re-emphasizes what he said earlier, God saved you by His grace when you believed. When you believed and when you invited Christ, he saved you by his grace. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Why can't you and I take salvation, uh, take any credit for that? Because it's a gift from God. Look at this next part. He says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. You and I can't be good enough. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. It's not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Look at this next part for we are god's masterpiece that's what we're going to talk about today we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. God planned a long time ago to save you. God planned a long time ago to extend His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness into your life. But what God was waiting for is your invitation. This is what our life was like before, the before picture, and this is what our life is like afterwards. Salvation, friends, and we've got to be clear on this. Becoming a follower of Jesus is a total gift. It is a gift of grace. Why? Because none of us deserve it. You don't deserve grace. I know. I know I don't. I don't deserve the mercy of God. I don't forgive the I don't deserve the forgiveness of God. These are gifts of God's grace. Now, I hope that you noticed I pointed it out what Paul writes just after that. And it's the focus of our time together in this talk in the next few moments. He goes on to say, for we are His masterpiece. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are His masterpiece. Aren't you glad the Scripture doesn't say that you are God's appliance? Well, it wouldn't say that. Why? Because appliances are mass-produced. Appliances are mass produced. Masterpieces are handcrafted, made one at a time, and God didn't make anybody exactly like you. And somebody in the other side of the room said, Thank God for that. But God didn't make anybody like you. You are not appliance, you are not mass produced. You, this is what Paul says, straight from the Word of God, you are God's masterpiece. Now, you may tell yourself you're not God's masterpiece. Or you may have been told by others throughout your lifetime that you're not God's masterpiece. Maybe you grew up hearing that you're, you were not that good. Maybe you've been told that, that you're not good. Maybe you've heard that you're not loved or have felt that way. Maybe you have the idea or you've been told you're not talented, you're not special, you're not chosen, you're not wanted. And that may be what you think about you or it may be what others have said about you or to you. But I want to tell you that's not what God says about you. God says you are his masterpiece. He says you are if you're a Christian you are saved by his grace. You are loved unconditionally, and I might add to that, outrageously, and you are handcrafted by God Himself, one at a time. In fact, I love these next verses. Some of you are keeping counsel. You know this is the third section. Look at this. This is from David in the Old Testament. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your words are wonderful. I love what David says here. You, you know, he's talking about him, but it's for all of us. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your words are wonderful, God, how I know that full well. Look at this next part. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. In other words, words, God was right there. God was fashioning us, creating us. Uh, When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body while we were in our mother's womb. Now look at this last part. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew all about your life before God ever created you. And you are not an appliance. You are not mass-produced. You are a masterpiece handcrafted one at a time by God himself. You, friend, have been created on purpose. Listen, your life is not an accident. You're not an appliance, and you're not an accident. You were created on purpose. And you may say, well, you know, what I heard was, the talk is that I was an accident. I was the accidental child. But listen, God created you on purpose and with a purpose. And this is so cool to me when I really pause to think about it, that God not only created you, but he also inserted you into this particular type in history. Now, you're aware of this by now, but I want to remind you of something you already know. You did not choose your time. Your time chose you. Let me say that again. That's for you. That's for me. We didn't choose our time. Our time chose us. You are where you are, and you are who you are at this time in history on purpose and with a purpose. God has specifically selected this time for you. Are you responsible for your birth? Did you just say, hey, God, I want to be born in 1982, and it just happened? No, your time was chosen for you. God has intentionally selected this time for you on purpose, and we're the purpose. And right now, what God wants to do is He wants to use, because you're His masterpiece, He wants to use your gifts He wants to use your talents. He wants to use your ability. He wants to use your passion. He wants to use your heart because your heart longs to do some things for God and for people. He wants to use your your heart. Do you know God is even able to use your hurts? God's able to use your hurts, in fact. I also want you to consider this. Because you are God's masterpiece, you have everything that you need to accomplish everything that God wants you to do. You're his masterpiece. You haven't been mass-produced. You're not an appliance. You're a masterpiece, handcrafted by God, one at a time. And because of that, God is going to give you everything that you need. You saw it just a moment ago. He's given you everything before your days even started. God had planned out your life. God knew how your life was going to unfold. He had planned out your life, and He wanted you to be in relationship with Him. And He wanted you to submit your will to His will. And He wanted you to accomplish the purpose that He created you on purpose is four. That's who God is. That's what God does. And and can I just tell you that God has big plans for your life? He does. God is a big God, and God has big plans for your life. You don't go through your life just saying, well, you know what? Here's the biggest plan for my life. My biggest plan in life is to have a job, is to work a job. And some of you are saying, man, I'm glad that that's not God's biggest plan for my life because I'm not real crazy about the job I've got. No, God's plan for you is bigger than working a job. God's plan for you is bigger. Bigger than building a house. God's plan for you is bigger than just drawing retirement. It's bigger than planning your next vacation. It is way bigger than improving your golf swing, it is bigger than balancing your checkbook. God has big plans for you, and a lot of times our focus, what we find ourselves intertwined in, investing our time in, is just trivial things in light of the big plans that God has for our life. Check out this next verse right here, 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us, it's what we just mentioned, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. See, God has given you everything that you need already for your life. God has given you, this is what the Apostle Peter was saying in this passage, God has given everything that you need to live a godly life. And what if you and I just said it as our aim, part of what we are going to accomplish with God's help is to just spend our lives doing the things that God's equipped us to do to live more godly. You know, you and I are never too young or never too old to say I'm going to take the rest of my days and I'm going to live more godly than the way I'm living right now. And some of you, that's a challenge for you. You're going to say, you know what, Jeff? I'm going to take up that challenge because I'm at whatever age you're at and it's not too late for me to live a more godly life. It's not too late for me to start doing what I know in my life God wants me to do to accomplish God's will, to accomplish God's purpose, to be more like Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to love like Jesus. And you're challenged right now in your spirit to say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm a masterpiece. I've not been mass produced. I've been handcrafted one at a time by God Himself, and I'm going to take my one and only life, and I'm going to live more godly. I'm going to be more like Jesus, and I'm going to accomplish God's purpose for my life. I'm not going to sell God short of what God created me and my life to do. I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to use my talents. I'm going to use my abilities. I am going to use my passion, my heart, and my hurt. I'm going to use my life to accomplish God's will for my life, because God created me on purpose, and God created me with a purpose so many times you and I get by distracted by so many things happens to me it happens to you we just sometimes we just live you know down in the weeds when God wants us to just rise to the big occasions that he has in our life and a lot of times fact of the matter is you and I spend a lot of our time uh, doing things that God never asked us to do in the first place or doing things that we're just not good at I, I think I'm probably not the only one. I imagine that maybe you that are watching right now, some of you have spent time doing things that God never really called you to do or you're not good at in the first place. Now, there's a lot of stuff I'm not good at. In fact, I'm, I'm not good at a lot more things than what I am good at. That made sense? A lot of things I can't do. Few things I can. Uh, if you know me, And if you don't know me, this is what you're about to know about me. I am not mechanical at all. I am not mechanical. Um, My dad wasn't mechanical. Uh, My oldest son is not mechanical. The youngest son, he's he's pretty mechanical. But for me, uh, you know, when God was handing out mechanical gifts at whatever point that was, I was in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, and I missed it. Well, I can remember a time, and I can give you many stories. I can remember one time when my car was in the driveway, and it wouldn't start. This has been many, many years ago. And it wouldn't start. And I'm like, oh, man, what's wrong? Now, take into consideration I'm not mechanical at all, and uh, my car won't start. And I popped the hood to see what the problem was as though I would know what the problem was, and I raised the hood like I had the sense to figure it out, and I just sort of looked under the hood, and, you know, basically my response is, yeah, this, this is an engine. That's about as far as I could get. Yeah, this looks like an engine to me, you know. I, I uh, see some things that I somewhat, you know, uh, can see that I recognize. Uh, that appears to be a radiator, that most definitely is a battery, Uh, I think that's an air, but the fact of the matter is, I'm not mechanical, I had no clue what the problem was, but I had a friend who was very mechanical, and I called them up, they were kind enough to come over to the house, and and, um, you know, this was the next day, they raised the hood, that brought me encouragement, because they knew what was under the hood, and they started looking around, and I was just watching them look around, and uh, they would go from, you know, uh, under the hood to in the car to try to start it. One start, come back out, check something, go back in, try to start it. One start, one start. And finally, this friend looked at me, and this is what he said. He said, I, I, I've discovered your problem. I said, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. What's the problem? I'm thinking, all right, ka-ching, ka-ching, You know, is it big? Is it small? And they said, I just discovered your problem. I'm like, really? What is it? And he looked at me, and he said, you're out of gas. I'm like, what? I mean, you talk about humiliation and embarrassment. I've called this guy over. Apparently, I had just enough fumes to just pull up. I knew I was low. But I didn't know I was that low. Can you imagine how embarrassing that was? Well, that's not been the only time I've ever been embarrassed because I lack gifts or talents in a particular area. But oftentimes you and I are spending time in areas that God's not called us to and we're not good at it. In the first place, you and I can seize the opportunities that God has given to us. Do you realize this, that God is able to use everything in your life to accomplish His purpose? I want to say that again. That God is able to use everything in your life to accomplish His purpose. Good things? Absolutely. What about bad things? Even bad things. Without a doubt, bad things. Even your hurts and your disappointments and your setbacks in life can be used by God. Now, you've seen this verse many times before, but I want you to look at it again. And you're familiar with it. Most of you are. In fact, would you read this one with me? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. In all things, not just good things, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. Some of you may want to just post that on your refrigerator this week or your dashboard of your car this week. Is that what you call it, a car, dashboard, dash? Water? You see, I don't know much about cars. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God works in the good things in our life and the bad things in our life. You know, recently I've been studying again the life of Joseph in Genesis, very first book of the Bible, and, man, Joseph went through a lot of bad things in his life to be able to fulfill and accomplish God's purpose. Here he was. You know, he's, he's one of 12 sons. There's 12 boys, and he's the favorite. And his dad gives him, you know, some of you remember the name of his dad, Abraham. There was Isaac, and then his dad was Jacob, later became Israel. And so, um, you know, Jacob gives Joseph this... Um, very nice coat that none of his brothers got, a tailored, custom fit, sport coat, maybe not, but it was a very special coat and it made his brothers very, very jealous. Why did Joseph get this special thing and we did not? It did not help that Joseph told his brothers about a dream he had. He said, I had this dream and he said, you know, I was I was there and and these stars, they all bowed down to me and, and they're like, Are you kidding us? And and they're hearing what Joseph is saying, do you think we're going to bow down to you? That'll never happen. There'll never be a day, Joseph, we'll bow down. And so that further inflamed their jealousy and their anger toward him. Uh, Joseph told about another dream that he had. And in this dream, you know, it, it just made them all more angry. You'll have to go and read about that one. Well, it made his brothers so angry that one day he comes to check on them. They're out in the fields and he finds them. And they see him coming and they're like, hey, let's get rid of this kid once and for all. He's the younger brother, Benjamin's younger, but next to Benjamin, he's the youngest, Joseph is, and they're like, let's get rid of him, and they actually take their own brother, and he's pleading, he's begging for his life. One of the brothers even says that later on, he says, what were we thinking when Joseph was there pleading for his life, for us to, but we threw him into this pit, and they were going to leave him in the pit and get rid of him, but then they have a change of mind, caravans coming through, and they sell him as a slave, and this caravan takes him to Egypt. And he's in the house of Potiphar, and God's favor rests upon him, and, and he rises. You know, it's a bad thing. He's walked through. He's been, uh, you know, sold out by his own brothers. You know, they want to kill him. They sell him as a slave. He's in Egypt, this and all. But then God elevates him, and God blesses his life. And uh, he, he has a lot of leadership responsibility in the home of Potiphar. And, and then... Potiphar's wife. Scripture says that Joseph was an attractive guy, and uh, you can read all about that. And his uh, Potiphar's wife is apparently uh, attracted to Joseph, and she tries to seduce him. Uh, are you saying that's in the Bible, Jeff? That is in the Bible. And she tries to seduce him, and, he, and he, he doesn't go along with her plan, but then she lies and says that Joseph tried to seduce her, and it ends, you know, here it he was, elevated in the home of Potiphar, but now he's, he's put into prison, and he's there, and while he's in prison, and you have to read this, he has a couple of dreams, and in these dreams, you know, he reveals what's going to happen in Egypt concerning a, a seven years of blessing that's going to come, and then seven years of famine. It's a fascinating story, and Joseph ends up being second in command in all of Egypt, only Pharaoh has greater authority in all of Egypt than, than uh, Joseph does. The seven years of blessing comes. You can read about that. I'll not take the time. Seven years of famine. And Joseph's family who lived in another country, you know, it gets so bad for them because the famine is, is widely distributed. It's not just there in Egypt, but surrounding countries. Famine. And so Jacob sends the brothers Holds back Benjamin, but sends the other brothers for food. They don't recognize Joseph, because Joseph is the one that can feed their families. And they don't recognize him initially, and you'll have to read, uh, read it, but he starts really messing with their heads, like, okay, here's the grain, and he sends them, but he puts their, you know, what they brought, the money they brought, put it back in their sack, and, you know, they're like, oh, no, you know, and they're like freaking out because this happens. And, and so he's messing with their mind there for a little while, And then eventually they come back a second time and Joseph reveals himself as to who he is. They didn't recognize him. They have sold him. They put him in a pit and sold him and they think he's dead. His father Jacob back home thinks that he's dead. All of his brothers think that he's dead and he reveals himself and they just freak out. Like, oh man, after all we did to Joseph, after all the bad things that he's been through because of us, surely he's going to take it out because Joseph was powerful enough to do that. But I want you to see, this is an amazing couple of verses. In Genesis 45, I want you to take a look at this. Verses 7 and 8, this is what Joseph said after he revealed himself to his brothers. You need to go back and read this story. But this is how he's wrapping it up. He said, God sent me ahead of you to rescue you in this amazing way. And to make sure that you and your descendants survive. So it was not really you who sent me here, but God. And wouldn't it be difficult to have that attitude? You just want to react and say, you, after everything I've been through here in Egypt, I've been in prison, I've been, you know, all these negative, horrible things have happened to me. But Joseph just said, even the bad things in my life, God was working to bring some good out of them so that I would be able to spare your life and the life of your family. In fact, you can, As you read the story, when Joseph revealed himself, he just broke down. Later, when he sees Benjamin, he cries even harder. Please listen. What I'm saying to you is this. God is able to use the best times in your life to accomplish his purpose. But God is also able to use the bad times in your life to accomplish his purpose. He did it for Joseph. He's able to do it for you. He's able to do it for me. We're his masterpiece. God is able to use the best times in your life and the bad times in your life to accomplish his purpose. And maybe you're walking through a bad time right now and you're like, I don't see how any good could ever come out of this. I don't see how one good thing, look at what I'm going through. Look at what's happened to me. Look at what's happened in my family. Look what's happened in my health. Look what what has happened in my career. Listen, do not underestimate the power of God and the love of God To bring something powerful and wonderful and good out of even the bad times in our life. I love what Rick Warren said concerning this. He says, God promises that he will fit everything, even your setbacks, relapses, and failures into his plan and purpose for your life. And then he adds, I really like this. God loves to turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones and crucifixions into resurrections. I want to wrap up our time right now, and I want you, if you've gotten momentarily distracted or you're like, hey, what's that sixth section of verses? Yeah, that was Genesis 45 was the sixth and final one. But this is what I want you to hear. God wants you to know who you are, and you are this. You are his masterpiece. But Jeff, you might be saying, I'm not good enough. Listen, this is what God says. You're his masterpiece. Well, Jeff, I've made some huge mistakes in my life. You are his masterpiece. But I've had so much pain and so much negativity in my life, so many bad times, times. you are still his masterpiece. But I've got all these problems going on in my life. You are still his masterpiece. Surely God must have better people and better options available to him than me. You are his masterpiece. You are not an appliance. You are not mass produced. You are his masterpiece created one at a time, handcrafted by God himself. And God loves you. And don't miss this, please. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are saved, you are forgiven, and you have a purpose. You are saved, you are forgiven, and you have a purpose. And what you do for Jesus will never go unnoticed. He sees it, and you will be rewarded for it. You most certainly will. God wants you to know who you are. You're his masterpiece. And when you know who you are, you will know what to do. Now, let me just say, just before I pray, if you have not yet received Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life, you can do that right now. You can ask Christ to come into your life. You can have the grace and the mercy of God extended to you. You can know that your sins are forgiven and you can have a brand new start. Now, let me just say, you can't earn that. I couldn't. You can't be good enough. I couldn't. You receive salvation as a gift, a gift from God a gift of grace. And maybe right now, you would just pray this prayer with me, right in your heart, your mind. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, give me a brand new start. Give me a before and after picture. I know what my life is like now. I'm spiritually dead. I'm dead in my transgressions and sins. I am caving to the impulses and cravings of my flesh. And I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I need a brand new start. Jesus, come into your life. Thank you for loving me enough that you sent Jesus to die for my sins upon the cross. I receive you right now and with your help. I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me know if you prayed that prayer. God bless you. I love you. I look forward to seeing you next week. Part three identity crises. Have an awesome week.